Hi, my name is Stephanie, and welcome to Sexo y Todo Eso, Sex Ed for the Latinx Millennial Parent. This week, we are doing something different. We are having pláticas con Sexo y Todo Eso. For each plática, we are interviewing our close friends, family, and partners to hear about their experiences with sex ed. So tune in every other week as we make space for these important conversations. Hi everyone, my name is Stephanie and welcome to Pláticas con Sexo y Todo Eso. Today I have with me my dear friend and colleague Alda Santana. Gracias Alda for being here with us today. Please tell us a little bit about your upbringing, about your professional experience and personal experience around sexual health. Yeah, thank you for having me. So yeah, my name is Alda Santana. I am originally born in born in Puerto Rico, raised in um, very early in Mexico, and then Texas, um, where I became an adolescent and young adult. <laughs> and now I live in Sacramento, California. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Alda. So what was your experience with uh, the talk? Who did you have these conversations with? So I grew up in a, like, very traditional uh, Latinx household. Um, My parents were much older. So my mom was 47 when I was was born, and my dad was 61. So I would say there's definitely a huge generational gap there. I have two older sisters. Uh, One, the oldest is 11 years older than me, and the next one is seven years older than me. So we did not talk about sex or anything related to sexuality at all. Um, There was definitely a lot of shame of even saying the word sex in the house. Um, I don't ever remember hearing anything about it. Um, I got my period when I was 12, and my mom got the Encyclopedia Britannica out and read me the definition of menstruation. And that was, like, my menstruation lesson. And, yeah. And then when I was 12, I was, like, 11 or 12, my uh, older sister, not the oldest, but the middle one, she got pregnant when she was 18. And uh, I remember my it was, like, a big deal in the house, and my parents were very upset. And I just remember being in the car with my mom and never heard it. I didn't even know how my sister, like, I did not know how pregnancy happens. And all she said was, keep your legs closed. So what happens to your sister doesn't happen to you. And in my, like, 11, 12-year-old brain, I just remember thinking, like, legs, like, physically closed. Like, I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> and that was the extent of, like, my parents talking to me about it. Um... And so I think most of the conversations that took place were with my friends and not even in middle school, I would say mostly in high school, just about like sexuality topics in general and our bodies. Um, So yeah, not even my sisters either. Wow. So the main message and takeaway was keep your legs closed and the definition from the encyclopedia. Yeah. And that was mostly from your mom, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, my dad, like, mm-mm. I don't think he would have ever broached these topics at all. 
Oh, I have another story, too. I got on birth control by myself on my own, and when I was 21, my mom found my birth control pills, and because I had them hidden, because we couldn't, you know, this is like, we don't talk about these things, we're not, like, this is not acceptable in this household, and uh, she came into my room, told me she found them, said she wasn't going to tell my dad, and straight up said I was a puta. (gasps) No. Oh, my God. So that was that experience. At 21. I was 21 years old. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. And then I became a sexuality educator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So tell us more about how you entered the sexual health field and how you found that passion. I came into the field actually through domestic violence and sexual assault. So one of my first jobs out of college was at the local domestic violence center and I worked the hotline so part of working the hotline was also responding to hospital calls um, on sexual assaults so we would answer calls that came into the hotline um, around anything related to domestic violence and sexual assault and then we would also go out to the hospitals and then support survivors in the hospital while they went through the whole thing exam and it was really there that I fully understood, like, the concept of, like, having agency of our, our own bodies and just, like, the patriarchy and white supremacy and all the discrimination that we faced, and I wanted to make a change, and I feel like that wasn't fully the area I wanted to stay in because it was a bit it was a bit traumatic for me. It was hard for me to leave it at home. And so I wanted to go more into like the prevention side of things. Um, and then from there, I actually went into abortion care. And so I started working at my local abortion clinic. And it just kind of all like fell into place. Like all the puzzle pieces fell into place because I saw like really it was – people taking ownership over their own bodies um, and making decisions that for some were super easy and for others were one of the most difficult decisions and just the whole spectrum. I mean, we saw, I worked there for three years and saw people from every single walk of life I could think of. (laughs) Um, And it was definitely very life-changing. And working at the clinic, we experienced a lot of effects from policies and laws, and I really wanted to make a change (laughs) at the policy level. And so then I went to work at the state capitol, and that was where I realized, like, really it's the power of the people. Like, these legislators, they're making the laws, and they're making you know, quote-unquote, change, but they don't really have the power. And although they think they have the power. And <laughs> that was not my most favorite experience working there. It was, it was, I just saw, you know, they call it, um, you see the sausage being made, and it's not pretty. <laughs> I did not want to stay mm, there. Yeah. Um, and so from there I went into 
sexuality education because I feel like it was it was a culmination of everything, right? So it was like I do feel that knowledge is power, and when we're creating these uh, groups scenarios, whether it's in a classroom or if it's with parents, um, community members, it's this beautiful like community space where I may be giving out information like technical knowledge, but really everyone is growing and learning from each other and people are empowering themselves and then they're empowering each other. And I feel like that's really where change takes place. And that's kind of how I came to this place. And this is where I've been the longest is in the education piece. And that's how I met you. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. So you talk about you know, bodily agency, and you shared a little bit how you try to, you know, take care of your sexual health um, in your story about, you know, getting birth control. And so speaking more about bodily autonomy and bodily agency, how do you think our culture affects that in our experience? I mean, I think that there's, there are so many systems that impact directly applied to our culture that impact our bodily autonomy, right? So you have patriarchy, you have white supremacy, you have religion, which is a combination of all those things. Mm -hmm. And people internalize that a lot. Right. And I feel like they make it apply at this kind of surface level. And I do feel that historically we have done what we've needed to do to take care of ourselves Mm. collectively and individually. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like there are all these, you know, undercurrents of religion and societal norms, which, you know, include like all the patriarchal aspects of who has power and, you know, like you need to behave and be quiet and look pretty and, all those things, but I right. do feel ultimately, like, as a community, we've had, we've done what we've had to do. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about patriarchy, and you know, machismo is a whole different monster, especially in our community. It's like patriarchy on steroids. And so, how did your experience with sex ed affect your dating relationships? So much, so much, Um, because I do feel like going back to like education is power and you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And so just by, Mm -hmm. by me teaching, I also learned so much for myself. Mm. Um, And I definitely feel like even how I engaged in relationships changed. So like just reading on healthy relationships teaching about healthy relationships and honestly it's kind of amazing just hearing youth perspectives on relationships too and you learn from that too and so yeah it definitely helped me like talk through healthy conflict Mm -hmm. you know how to have a healthy conflict how to build trust um just how to have healthier relationships in general and I feel like because I never got any of that information that I fully didn't understand how to have healthy relationships 
mm-hmm. like romantic relationships. And so sex education completely changed that for me. And I think a lot of people forget the relationship piece of sex education. And I do feel like that's something that the field it's growing in that area, right? So yes, historically sex education was like pregnancy prevention, STD prevention, and even the field itself forgot about relationships and that <laughs> all those things like take relationships. Yeah. And so I I do appreciate that the field now is like tuning more into that and integrating healthy relationships into a curricula. Um, but I do feel like that's, it's such an important aspect for everybody because our lives are dictated by relationships, right? Good and bad, mm-hmm. whether that's parents or coworkers or friends, neighbors, like we can't live without relationships and we're not taught how to have healthy relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about learning all of these aspects later in life. And I think that's something that the field also forgets is that, you know, sex education and sexual health doesn't just happen when you're young or during puberty. It's this lifelong process that you just completely keep learning new things. You know, and I've had a similar experience with sex ed and sexual health and, you know, going like, oh, snap, that was an unhealthy relationship that I was in or you just have these aha moments when you're giving sex ed to, you know, students and you forget that you're learning also. Absolutely. And it's information, like you said, we're going to use for the rest of our lives. Absolutely. And so in thinking about your family or any young people in your life, is there anything from these experiences that you would like to replicate as a parent or caring adult? You know, honestly, like, no. <laughs> Like, there's not a single piece in there that I would want to replicate it. Like, I want to, if anything, like, burn it all down and let's start over. Yeah. Like, I do think it's so important for people to know about their bodies and how their body, all of it, right? Like, from our reproductive system to, like, our digestive system and respiratory system. You know, I've actually been reading a lot on um, the nervous system and trauma, And how do we calm our bodies and how we physically respond? Like, these are things we've never been taught. Mm -hmm. Um, And it may be changing, but I think it's so important to learn about our bodies. Yeah. And learn about how to communicate with others and how to have healthy relationships. So from my experience as a youth, no, I would not (laughs) eat any of those. Because I, I did not get sex ed in high school either. So our sex ed was our science teacher, who is also a coach, mm-hmm. showed us the miracle of, what is it, the miracle of life, the birthing video. Oh, God. And that was it. That was our sex ed class. <laughs> so, like, we got nothing. Yeah, like, this video that they show you is that this experience is amazing and, you know, the best thing that could ever happen to you which I mean if you're a parent like absolutely but you know as a young person watching it you're like yeah I don't want to do this yes as a married adult at that yeah so thank you for being honest I think you make a valid point and saying you want to burn it all to the ground 
to start over and start new. And sometimes that's what it takes, right? Yeah, and a lot of us in, in our generation, um, you know, younger and older millennials, that's what we're hoping to do, right? Is to break these cycles so that they don't keep going um, and they don't continue this vicious cycle so that, you know, generations don't experience that generational trauma, right? And that will look different from family, family to family, you know, and then trauma is also not talked about um, in, in our communities. We don't like to talk about Bruno. And so movies like Encanto and Turning Red that are these kind of pivotal movies that are shaping these newer generations and, and challenging those norms and shifting them. So how do you feel about talking about sexual health and sexuality with your parents now as an adult? And I did. So once I started working in it, I would definitely talk to my mom about it. And she was a little receptive about it. Mm. Um, but it wasn't a conversation. It was more like me talking about something and she would, you know, she would sit there and listen. Uh, but it was not like, I don't think she ever asked me any questions. It was more of like, at least she did sit, you know, she never shamed me about it, which I'm very, and I have to say, like, I do feel like my parents tried their best. You know, I don't want to uh, show, like, my parents were these horrible people that, like, <laughs> never gave me sex education. You know, I think it's, like, a product of society. Like, this is, like, what they were raised with, and they were just replicating that. Um, so I do feel like my parents did try their best. It's just not what I needed. Um and so, yeah, my my dad passed away before I got into the field, and so I never had those conversations with him, though I would like to think that I would, but I am grateful that my mom, at least, like, you know, she sat and listened and supported me in it, even if she wasn't going to participate in it. Mm, okay. And so do you think... The discomfort from her has ebbed away? No. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I don't think so. I mean, like I said at the beginning, my parents were so much older, right? So my mom was born in the 30s. Mm. And I think it's just like at that point, like her being so much older, like you have to personally do the work mm -hmm. to undo all the learning, right, that you've been raised with. Right. And I don't know if she was willing to do that. Yeah, so that's interesting. I mean, my parents are also an older generation. They're the baby boomer generation. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned, I think they also had to do with what they had, um, what they learned, and they, they replicated that, right? And so there's so many intersections um, of our families, especially your family, like uh, with your mom, you know, being a Latina, being born um, in the 30s. And you mentioned that you, you know, you're from Puerto Rico. Um, your family is from Puerto Rico. Um, do you happen to know what the sex education or the sexual health education is like there? That's a great question. And like, no, I do not. Okay. I know, like, even with like my family there, like, it's 
not anything like like we don't talk about our bodies or I do feel like my family there is still very not and definitely not representative of the island as a whole but like we don't talk about these things Mm -hmm. how do you want your kids or the young people in your life to feel when you have these conversations with them like my whole thing is I want people to like feel their true power yes because life is hard and life will try to break you down and life will try to take away that power and stifle your voice Mm -hmm. and so I want them to feel their power and know that they can share that voice in any space and no one can take that away and I feel like honestly that is the goal of the people that are against this right Mm -hmm. it's to not have bodily autonomy it's to be oppressed and stifled and to take away that power it's almost like a feeding frenzy right it's this idea that if I take away someone's power I have more power and that's not the case at all yeah Mm -hmm. so my main takeaway in what I do is like people gaining their own power and I think it's important in our field like we always talk about like empowering youth and it's always like adults empowering youth but let's take away that adultism and it's not adults empowering youth it's youth empowering youth yes I love that like people empower themselves Mm -hmm. yeah I really love that that whole aspect of finding your true voice and that's you know a powerful statement in itself and it just made me think of our experiences implementing sexual health sex ed with adolescents and how we noticed that a lot of the curricula and sex ed in general is very racist and sexist and so can you talk about how uh, racism influences this this field oh man so much so so much um yeah and there is like a whole history of like racism within what you know now we call it like because we are aware of it and trying to change it like now it's adolescent sexual and reproductive health right it's not teen pregnancy prevention um the idea that like we need to prevent pregnancies of certain groups mm-hmm. and by certain groups i mean black and brown bodies mm-hmm. yep um so, yeah, a lot of policies around education, funding of planned, I mean, the roots of Planned Parenthood, which are not, they're not there currently, but historical roots. Right. Um, and the origins of a lot of bills, federal bills around teen pregnancy prevention funding and education were rooted in wanting to control um, the reproduction of certain populations. Um you know, in Puerto Rico, historically, we have the birth control um, trials mm-hmm. where women were given birth control pills that had not been tested or approved or by the FDA, nothing. It was trials, uh, guinea pigs, and where did they go? Oh, they went to Puerto Rico. And they weren't even aware. They weren't testing it on white women. Yeah, so there's so much racism that's rooted in this field, and I do feel like there are a lot of people that are bringing it to light and making sure that we're not 
replicating or repeating the harm that has been caused. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the curricula, the language is still there. Right. So, you know, when you implemented sexual health education to adolescents, did do you ever feel like they were more aware of it? I mean, I feel in my experience in general, I feel like younger generations are more aware of it, um, quote unquote, woke, if you will. They're more aware of the societal isms than previous generations. So do you think they're more aware of the racism and the historical implications on sexual health? I don't know if, in my experience, they're not aware of, like, specific things that happened, right? Okay. So, in my experience, they're not aware of, like, the history, especially within just the sex ed field. So, they're definitely aware of racism. And like you said, way more than previous generations. Um, But I don't know that they've, in my experience, been aware of, like, specific incidents historically or laws around sexuality, education and just like sexuality in general um but i do feel that more and more educators are bringing that to light Mm, i see yeah and are including that in their classrooms and so currently do you implement sexual health education to adolescents or any population currently we train um we train educators and you know teachers and health educators and clinicians that are implementing okay i see so you're training them and so they're finding ways to include um those aspects um and so they really do try to bring in that intersectionality into um, the curriculum and i do appreciate that we do have the freedom to teach about it, right? So we train on, like, we did a full training on reproductive justice and the racist history. Um, And so even for new educators that weren't aware of that, like, they're getting trained on that. Um, We're about to do a training on healthy masculinity. So talking about that toxic masculinity and culture and those intersections. And so, and I think that's something that some people forget too. like sometimes you just have this curriculum in front of you and it doesn't talk about racism and it doesn't talk about machismo and all of that. Right. But it's important that we're all knowledgeable about it mm-hmm. and we all understand how youth are impacted by all these pieces. Right. And all the systems that are in place. Absolutely. The joy of living in California, folks. I live in Texas and so we don't um, we don't have the luxury of enjoying such liberties. We gave a whole training on how to include pleasure in the classroom, how to talk about pleasure in the classroom. And that was wow. one of those moments I was like, I would never be able to have this train. And this is like we train people all across the state. So agencies, about 30 agencies across the state. Nice. So pretty nice. I feel pretty lucky. You are lucky. That that seems so far in the future for me in Texas. <laughs> I have I have a sad joke that it's like I time traveled when I moved. Oh, but it's so true. It's so true. Sadly, thinking about families and kids and the young people in your life, have you started having these conversations with them? So, I do have a stepdaughter. 
uh, who's 15. Okay. And I've always, like, since I started dating my partner, I started dating my partner when she was seven. And so I would have these conversations. And I have to say she's always been a bit uncomfortable with them. <laughs> but we still have them. <laughs> and You're getting this whether you like it or not. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're... Because I didn't get it. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, there are moments where she's like, nope, don't want to hear it, don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not going to force you. And then there are times where I'm like, okay, we're going to have a lesson. (laughs) And we're going to talk about this. And we're going to sit down. Um, And I think, like, actually the most recent one we did was about pleasure. Mm. I'm like, this is not just about, like, not getting pregnant or not getting an STD. Right. We're going to talk about actual pleasure. And pleasure in all kinds of ways, right? Like, definitely sexual pleasure, but also, like, what pleasures do you get out of having a friendship, a relationship? Like, what makes you feel good? What's your love language? Yeah. Oh, I need to bring that one up. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. I forgot about the love language. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and knowing that these are like continuous conversations, right? <laughs> so it's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I want, and I think they are. And honestly, it's like thanks to like the internet in both good and bad ways, but also like social media. Like I think the topics are out there. There's less shame about it. Right. Um, and yeah, it's just like I want them to just have better experiences have more information yeah do you feel like your stepdaughter is receptive to this information she is which yes yes um she definitely is and I do feel like it because I also uh my niece I kind of like was the same thing so I started having conversations with her and at first she's like eh, I don't want to <laughs> hear it and the older she got and started having relationships then it was like questions started coming in yeah or like her friends had questions (laughs) Mm, asking for a friend asking for a friend (laughs) (laughs) um and you know I did the same thing with my nephew so my nephew came to live with me for college and you know I would have these conversations with him and I always said like there are condoms in the house like you know like be safe Mm. and so I do feel like even if at some point they've all pretended like they didn't want to know and that they, like, didn't care. But I'm like, you can, you know, they were receptive and, like, they're they're listening. They're hearing you. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I think there's that stereotype, right, that, you know, teens aren't don't listen to their parents or, like, to old people. When, you know, I've worked with parents, that's the number one thing that they bring up, right, is like, oh, my kids aren't even going to listen to me when I start these conversations but in reality they are listening it's kind of a signal to them that you're open and you're available uh, if they ever have questions um, no matter how embarrassing or confusing or you know whatever they are feeling right so I'm glad that you brought that up yeah and yeah and I think like even I sometimes will just make comments and it's not even like a conversation right but it's just laying some groundwork to know like it's okay to talk about these things because sometimes just it, like, I think in my case, I never, I never, no one ever told me that it wasn't okay to talk about it. Right. No one ever said, we don't say these things in the house. It was the implicit message that I got. 
Mm. Because no one ever did talk about those things. Mm -hmm. If it was on TV, it was always like, oh, change the channel. Cover your eyes. (laughs) So, yeah, my parents were never like, we don't say the word sex and we don't talk about these things. So I think it's the opposite of that, right? Even just like making comments here and there, saying things here and there. Not everything has to be like a sit-down lesson. It's just like laying the groundwork and knowing like, oh, these are things that are okay to talk about. It's fine. Yeah, normalizing it. Normalizing those conversations. And so I'm curious to know more and learn more um, about your role as a step-parent and how you navigate that role and educating your stepdaughter about sexual health. Yeah, I mean, I think that started... I mean, it started with conversations with my partner, right? So it's like, these are important conversations to have. Are you having these conversations with your daughter? Mm -hmm. And I think it is harder for him. I I mean, he's definitely on board and he will also like make comments and he'll say like, hey, it's important to have these conversations and it's important to be open about these things, but it is harder for him. And so then it's just, it was ongoing conversations with him and of like, what are the messages that you want to give? And at one point he just turned to me and he was like, hey, you're the expert here. (laughs) And my stepdaughter does feel more comfortable talking to me than to her dad. Mm -hmm. And so it was also conversations with my partner of like what the messages are. And then him being like, I want you to give them, like he gives them, but I want you to do like the actual lessons. And then conversations with, my stepdaughter and her being like, I feel more comfortable talking about these things with you than my dad. And so it's been just ongoing learning, right, between all three of us. Um, But I do feel it is important, like, those initial conversations with my partner on, like, what are our shared values? Like, what are the values that you want to impart? What are the messages? And making sure that we're both on the same um, page. Mm -hmm. And then kind of negotiating that of, like, how do we relay these messages? And trust, right? Like, he trusts Mm -hmm. me to talk about these things with her and build that relationship with her. Yeah, I love that. I love that you're doing that and that he's on board and your stepdaughter is receptive. Did you ever get any backlash from the other household or the bio parent? No, no. And I do want to say like in this case, the other bio parent is not as involved. I see. So really, yeah, there's no, there was no pushback or backlash. It's been easy in this case. I want I want to put that out there. That's good to know. In my experience it, working with some parents um, and families, you know, there were blended families and blended households. And so that was another concern about um, them having conversations with the kids and how the other household was going to have conversations with the kids or they weren't having conversations with the kids or, you know, they just had differing values so they might be you know they might not be ready to have those conversations or they're totally against having those conversations so do you have any advice for those families on how to start these conversations and how to navigate that um with their kiddos or how to negotiate that between households i think it depends on the households i mean i would say i think it's important for like all like the 
the bio parents, the step parents, the co- all the co-parents to come in and have conversations. And just, I, you know, it's the same with any adult. Like, what do you want for your child? What are the goals that you want for your child? Mm-hmm. And I feel like most parents really do want their be- the best for their children. Yeah. They want their children to be safe, to be healthy, you know, to have privileges that they didn't have, to have experiences, positive experiences that they may or may not have had. Right. And I feel like if we stick to that, it's like, okay, how do we get there? Mm. And if we want our children to be healthy, it's important that they know how to stay healthy, how to stay safe. And they need the information. Mm. And I feel like if anything in this case, you know, it's kind of like me. I'd be like, hey, I'll do it. You know, let me do it. I can provide that information, the education, if you do not want to do it. It's almost like having an out. Mm. (laughs) Like if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't want to do it, here's someone that's like has an important role that's willing to do it. Right. Um. Yeah, sometimes, you know, it's going through conflict resolution, too. And I think, you know, it's looking at, like, okay, what are the areas that we agree in? Mm. So, you know, maybe we're not having straight-up conversations about pleasure. (laughs) But, like, is there some middle ground that the values do cross over and are shared? Mm. And I mean, there may be some people that you never change their minds, but I think if you go back to, like, what do you want for your child – and working with parents, like, they always shared that. They always said, like, I want the best for my children. Yeah. And most parents that I worked with were like, I didn't get this, and I want my child to have the information I didn't have. Right. Do you have any last words or wishes for the future of sexual health? Let's see. I do think that... I think when it comes to parents, I do think that, you know, it's corny, (laughs) corny as it may seem, like going back to the the saying, like, it takes a village. It really does. And I feel like it's important for parents, like, if they feel like they don't have the information or the confidence or the skill level to have these conversations, that they're not alone. Yeah. And... I feel like there are connections and resources out there to support parents, um, but it does take it does take a village. Like it's not the parent doesn't have to do everything and know everything. And mm-hmm. I think that can seem overwhelming at times to like, oh, I have to also do this and know about this. It's like you don't have to know everything and do everything. Um, but yeah, how can you connect to? other support systems and people out there that can support you and do some of that work for you. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you said it takes a village to raise a child, and it's so true. So, you know, kids and young people are going to get it in schools, 
if it's allowed in their state or if the districts decide um, to implement it, they'll get it from their teachers. And I think the most important piece is that they'll get it from their parents, whether parents think their child is listening or not. And the more support that we give our adolescents and our young people and the more support that they have overall, like from teachers, counselors, parents, you know, other trusted adults, the better chance they have at health having healthier relationships and making healthier choices which is you know the goal for all of us right is that we want them to be healthy and live awesome lives absolutely so on point well gracias alda for being with us today being vulnerable and sharing your experience with us and we want to thank our listeners for staying on as well um and listening to our first platica um so we want to hear about y'all's experience with sexual health too so make sure you follow us at on instagram at sexo y todo eso check us out on our stories where you can ask all of your sex questions um or you could dm us your stories make sure you subscribe to our podcast um on spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts and check out our next episode where we will dive into how to have the talk with your kiddos make good choices